Welcome to Moonbeaming, a podcast about lunar living, magic, creativity, tarot, and more. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, and I'm so honored and excited to be here with you today. Welcome back. Before starting this week's episode, I want to announce that one of my very favorite workshop series I have ever designed, I have ever created, I've ever brought forth into the world, Resourcing the Creative Self is now open for enrollment. We begin July 31st, and it is a four-week offering full of, you guessed it, resources for the creative self. We explore creativity and our art and our artistic practices through archetypes, myth, symbols, magic, and so much more. It's really fun. It's really exciting. People have made such beautiful pieces of art and explored different aspects of their creative self. And we also have guest instructors every time. We have guest lectures and visits from Lizzie Silva Gomes, Edgar Fabian Frias, and more. If you've been wanting to get back into a creative practice, if you have been wanting to weave magic and archetypal thinking and spiritual conceptualism into your creative practice, this is definitely the place you want to be. And the link for that is in the show notes. Enrollment ends, I think, on July 28th. Do not quote me, but it ends in a couple of weeks. So if you want to sign up, I would suggest you sign up soon. Okay. We've got a great guest today. My guest today is Jessica Defino. Jessica is a freelance beauty journalist, cultural thinker, and philosopher. I would say Jessica describes her work as being a pro-skin, anti-product, beauty reporter, dismantling beauty standards, debunking marketing myths, and exploring how beauty culture impacts people physically, psychologically, and psycho spiritually. Jessica's work has appeared in the New York Times, Vogue, Teen Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Allure, New York Magazine's The Cut, Elle, Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, and so many other places. She also writes the beauty newsletter, The Unpublishable, which I suggest you subscribe to if you are not already subscribed to. I invited Jessica on because I wanted to highlight folks in this lover's year who are criticizing industries or things that they love or that they have an investment in in order to make it better or more inclusive or to transform and evolve it, to breathe some fresh air into it. And Jessica is an example of someone who is doing just that. I have been enjoying her work for the last few years, especially her newsletter. I just love Jessica's honesty and transparency. It is real. It is much needed. And I know you'll appreciate it in this conversation. We talked about all kinds of things. We talked about the various intersecting forces that influence what we think of as beauty in the United States and the West, about what true beauty is, and what spirituality and beauty have in common. Jessica talked about dealing with haters and we got into how certain more stereotypical versions of success in our world are actually pretty terrible things to live through. This conversation has stayed in my mind since we had it, especially as someone who admittedly loves beauty. I love beauty. I'm a queer femme. 
I feel more like myself when my nails are done, when I've got a bright lip on. Yes, even in a mask. Sure do wear lipstick in a mask. Uh, Learned my lesson the hard way a couple of times. But you know, I still put the lipstick on. Not sure why, but here we are. Lately, I have been meditating on my attachment to those external markers of so-called beauty. I always say we are human beings having a material experience. We're spirits living in the world. And in part, the point of life is to live it and experience it and make it as beautiful as you want it to be, both inside and out. I do think it's a both and situation. And Jessica helps to contextualize beauty in our conversation and lays out what kinds of beauty standards help who and what kinds of beauty standards harm us all. I think you will love our conversation. Here it is. Hello, today on Moonbeaming, we have such a special guest. This is someone whose work I have been so inspired by. This person's work is so intersectional. That's the word. And she's really doing trailblazing reporting and writing. I would also call her a philosopher. I have the wonderful Jessica DeFino on the show with me today. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself and your work to our listeners. Sure. So my name is Jessica DeFino, and I like to describe myself as a pro-skin anti-product beauty reporter. Um, Maybe pro-people anti-product is a better way to put it. So my work always centers like the person, the human, the entire being, rather than trying to push a product or a beauty standard on you, which is sadly, I think, pretty rare in the beauty industry. And I, it's my understanding that you came to this work through being a beauty reporter who also did have some challenges with your skin. Is that right? Yes. So I, in 2015, developed something called dermatitis um, around my eyes and my mouth. And I went on steroids. Um, I had always, I'd always kind of had problem skin and I had trusted dermatologists my entire life. So I've been on every prescription and product you could possibly imagine. And when the dermatitis popped up, steroids were like the only answer. So I was on them topical steroids for two years and they completely ruined my skin. Um, I wasn't warned about any of the side effects. I didn't do adequate research and it caused something called skin atrophy, which is like just as horrifying as it sounds. It's basically like your organ shuts down. It stops functioning. Um, And my skin was sort of peeling off of my face in like raw red chunks. Like my skin was weeping all of the time. I couldn't wear makeup. I couldn't use skincare. And so I was... I mean, there were two sort of parallel journeys there. One, I was like, how do I heal my skin without products? Which sounds like that was unheard of for me. (laughs) And then two, it was like, wow, my self-worth really took a nosedive there. I have based so much of my identity on what I look like and who am I when I don't have that? So I started like a physical healing journey and sort Mm -hmm. of a spiritual healing journey at the same time while I was part of the beauty industry. And it really started this sort of like I guess like revolution within myself where I was like, I have to try and change how we're doing things here because it's not working. What were some of the core practices or beliefs you developed in order to sink into more self-love beyond appearance? Mm -hmm. I think I just started trying to sit with myself at first and like let myself be uncomfortable let myself really mourn that because it did feel like a loss it felt like a loss of self um 
And so for a while, I just, I canceled plans. I didn't go out. I stayed home. I felt like shit. And I sort of let myself wallow in it because I think I really needed to. And it sounds sort of silly now because it was like, what am I mourning? Like beauty, who I was to the external world, like my inner self didn't shift, but it did feel like grief a lot of it. Like I don't feel worthy to be out in the world right now. And I just need to let myself get through it. Um, and the longer that I sat with it, like the, the more it lifted, um, meditation was huge for me. I had never really been into anything that I had considered at that point to be sort of woo woo. Now I would never like use that term and I don't feel that way, but at the time, any sort of like spiritual thing felt like way out of my comfort zone. So I just started with meditation and mantras and like cheesy affirmations, <laughs> you know, you are worthy, you know, you're beautiful on the inside and it shines through the outside. And I would repeat these things to myself on a loop all day. Um, and you know, I mean, you know, it sticks, it does, it works eventually. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think I just tried to focus more on like, who am I? What am I saying? What are my words communicating to people? What do I like to do? Um, how do I like to move my body? How do I want to feel inside of my body if I can't feel good with my external appearance? Um, and yeah, I really, I guess I just started to get to know myself. I love all of this. I'm someone, full disclosure, I love beauty. Like I am mm -hmm. a femme. I love lipstick. I love getting my nails done. I think it's fun. It gives me a lift. Like it's, it's like a pleasure filled activity for me, mm -hmm. but I really resonate with what you're sharing here about quite frankly, it sounds so cheesy, but similar to, you know, you have to love yourself and all these things. If you don't feel grounded and you don't feel acceptance in yourself, I'm not even necessarily talking about like love and like adoration, because I think for some mm -hmm. people, we can't always have that unconditional love, but I do think yes. we can cultivate unconditional acceptance and unconditional compassion and unconditional, um, like I think a lot about not abandoning the self or not, you know, or like ending self betrayal yes. because we're not going to feel in quote good all the time. We're not going to, we're certainly not going to feel in quote good about ourselves or how we look or what we are in the world, but we, we have to be with ourselves. And I think cultivating a practice where it's safe and, um, okay, just to be with ourselves is really key to all of that. So I love what you shared. Yeah, I think another thing that I have focused on now in my career, sort of looking back at that time period, I think a lot of people love to use the excuse of self-expression for participating in a lot of beauty industry stuff. We say it's self-expression and it's like, that can be valid. It can, of course, be self-expression. And I had used that argument as well. But when it, I had it all taken away from me, it was like, what self was I expressing? Because I don't feel like I have a self right now. And it's like, in order to be using beauty as self-expression, you have to have a, an idea of who you are. Like, what is that self that you're expressing? Um, and I think beauty can sometimes be a big crutch for, for finding that. Um, it's sort of like this surface level identity, but when you take it away for a lot of us, there's not much left. And so like for me now, I can say I can use beauty as self-expression because I know who I am. I know what I'm expressing. I know the values I'm expressing. Whereas before I said it was self-expression, but it was really just, you know, a costume mostly. I immediately thought of drag as you were mm. talking and I immediately thought of, you know, queer folks who use beauty and physical self-expression or fashion or artists, you know, as artistry. And it's clear that they're expressing a self, right? It's yes. innovative. It's imaginative. It's joyful. It's pleasure filled. Mm -hmm. yes. and, it, and it absolutely doesn't conform to these Western standards of, right. you know, white supremacist, patriarchal beauty. And so I was wondering if you could share with our listeners and your opinion like what's really going on? What is beauty coded as? What is it linked to? What does it express when 
it is in service of these Western beauty standards. Right. So I think if I could change one thing about the beauty industry, I would change the name. Like I would call it the appearance industry because beauty is important. Beauty is spiritual. Beauty is like, you know, like of the human spirit. We all want beauty. We all want to connect with beauty. We want, we all want to express beauty, want to feel it. Um, and true beauty is like a multidimensional experience. It's energetic. It's emotional. It is fluid and moving. And, you know, your physical self can be part of it, but it's just one dimension of what true beauty is. Um, and I think the beauty industry really capitalizes on our spiritual longing for beauty. And it says, here's an industry that pumps out beauty, buy it and you'll feel good. Um, and it doesn't work like that because what the beauty industry is serving us is purely physical, purely one dimensional and in service to these really oppressive systems. So through my research, I've sort of pinpointed four main forces that have created Western modern beauty standards, which are patriarchy, white supremacy, colonialism, and capitalism. So any beauty trend or any beauty standard really that you see out there can be traced back to one or two or all of those forces. So when we participate in the beauty industry and in industrialized beauty and standardized beauty, what we are communicating out into the world are the values that have created that beauty standard. We are communicating capitalism with this um, aesthetic that is just an aesthetic of consumption and accumulation and like necessary product intervention. You know, we are mm -hmm. communicating colonialism when we are you know, for example, stealing features from other ethnicities and grafting them onto our white bodies. Like that's not true beauty. Um, true beauty is, is never going to be this purely physical experience. Um, and especially like what you were saying with, with drag artists, with, with queer folks, the, the key difference there, I think, from what I see in a lot of standardized beauty performance is that Queer and drag beauty artistry is usually stemming from some internal force, some internal force that needs to be expressed. And when we participate in beauty industry stuff and in standardized beauty, we are usually responding to an external force that tells us we're not good enough. So that has been really key for me and also in my work um, to determine like, what is, what is true beauty? Is this an authentic expression of self or is this in service to the industry is like pinpointing where the motivation is coming from. Is it coming from an external source or is it coming from an internal source and sort of going from there? What is your thought on folks who ha have to perform beauty in order to perhaps survive? Or I know that especially I'm particularly just talking about femininity Mm -hmm. the spectrum of femininity, you know, what is respectable. Uh, I'm putting this in quotes, by the way, friends, mm -hmm. Gent gentle listeners, you can't see me, but what is professional? What is respectable? Uh, what is in quote attractive? You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that there's some level of beauty performance that all of us have to do, even if we're conscious of it in order to, survive in capitalism. Yeah. And I was just kind of wondering like what your take on that is. I totally understand that. And that is part of why I critique the beauty space so harshly is because I don't think we should have to do that. And I understand that we're at a moment in history where these systems haven't been changed and they haven't been challenged and participation is sometimes going to be necessary, especially for, you know, work, especially for a job um, when you're sort of like financial well-being is at stake, of course, we're gonna have to participate in these systems, but I think it's really necessary while we're participating to point out what we're doing mm -hmm. and why we're doing it as, as a way to sort of seed some of these ideas and say that this is not the way that it should be and it's not the way it has to be. Like the world can be different. I truly fully believe that it can be and it should be. And the first step is, is really just telling the truth about what's happening. Um, and, and I use that point with like self-expression, for example, as well. Like a lot of people say their, their makeup is self-expression. 
I wear makeup, but I think something for me that's been really powerful is not pretending that it is anything that it's not. Mm. I wear concealer because I'm extremely insecure about my acne scars. Mm. Mm. I wear, um, you know, I microblade my eyebrows because I have trichotillomania. So I pull out my eyebrows Mm. and I don't feel safe out in the world if I don't have them covered up. This is not self-expression. This is not an expression of beauty. This is insecurity that I'm like tending to with beauty. Um, So I still do it. The difference is just I'm honest with myself about it. And that honesty has helped me let go of so many behaviors that don't actually serve me. And that's where that space of acceptance comes from, where you're like, hey, you know, this is an area of insecurity for me. This is what I'm doing about it. Maybe one day I'll feel differently. But for now, this is where I am. And this is what I'm doing. And I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that. The other thing, as you were speaking, that came to mind is this concept, too, of how everyone is performing gender through their beauty and Mm -hmm. how a lot of times heterosexual people and cisgendered people don't understand that, say, let's just say a cisgendered woman's uh, plastic surgery is also gender expression, right? Like they are also using, I'm putting this in quotes, beauty Mm -hmm. uh, to express themselves in a gendered way. They just not, might not, they might not see it that way. But all choices that we're making, whether it be unconscious or conscious, is usually or a lot of the time upholding some sort of construct. Exactly. I think that's such an important point to make. Um, And like, I do think that a lot of the responsibility for dismantling these systems falls on cis women, hetero women, white women, because we're the ones who profit from this system of beauty the most. Um, and so I do feel like a personal responsibility. Like, that's a large reason why I'm involved in this work is because I have the access. I have benefited from the system and I see where it's not serving me and it's not serving others. And it's time to, like, do away with it. Um, And so when it comes to things like cis women expressing their gender or their femininity through adhering to these oppressive systems or getting surgery or getting the injectables, I do think we need to look at what that is doing to our to other members of the collective, to queer members of the collective, to trans members of the collective. Because if we're at the point in beauty standards where cis women need to get expensive surgeries and injectables in order to perform a baseline of femininity, what harm is that doing to other people? That's doing a great deal of harm to the queer community and to the trans community because we're raising the bar. We're raising the bar for what counts as a woman out in the world. We're raising the bar for what counts as being feminine. Um, and I I do think that, that cis people have a lot of responsibility to resist these standards as much as we can because we do have that privilege um, so as not to further harm marginalized folks. And we're raising the bar in terms of, you know, that much more we have to be in labor for these certain performances. You recently tweeted, your beauty behaviors affect the collective. Performing beauty reinforces a physically and psychologically harmful ideal and encourages others to sacrifice their actual sources of power, time, money, effort, headspace in service to that physically and psychologically harmful ideal. So yeah, what are we losing when we're worshiping at the altar of Western beauty culture? Exactly. Like beauty has been messaged as this form of power. Um, It's often, you know, marketing will say, this is an empowering thing. Empower yourself. It's marketed as self-care. It's marketed as health. Um, And really what we're doing in order to access this like impossible standard of beauty, we're sacrificing our actual power. So like you said, we're sacrificing our money, our time, our energy, our effort to to get this like surface level look of what we've been told empowerment looks like. Um, And then we're sold this lie that beauty is um, something to make you more confident. And the data just isn't there. 
beauty standards and the pressure to perform beauty standards are associated with anxiety, depression, body dysmorphia, facial dysmorphia, eating disorders, um, obsessive thoughts about appearance, self-harm, and even suicide. So we're, we're told that it's this big confidence-boosting thing, but in reality, what participating in this standardized system of beauty does is it's really deteriorating our mental health collectively. Um, and that's, yeah, that's just another thing that I think we need to be way more truthful about and tell the truth about and just be like, this isn't confidence. This is anxiety. This is obsession with what I look like. Um, and it's not healthy. It's not physically or psychologically healthy for us to place so much of an importance on beauty. And as you said in that tweet, it's taking away our energy and our time Mm -hmm. for, other activities that might enhance our self-perception, like making art, like connecting to nature, like connecting intimately with people, like mm-hmm. resting, like, you know, what, like on and on and on. It's, it's this distraction tool. And it's also this tool yes. of control that's cloaked mm-hmm. under the guise of self-empowerment. But the problem is, is number one, we're never going to be beautiful enough. Number two, yes. we're never going to be in quote standardized enough and three like we're never going to be young enough we're only getting older we're only going to age and so it's really is this lose lose situation if we expend like so much of our time and our energy there I always say like performing beauty to gain power within this patriarchal system is not the act of empowerment you think it is. Like you might be like gaining some sort of power, but what is the system behind that power? And is that a type of power that you even want? Is this something that you want to perpetuate? Is this something that you want to influence the people around you to perpetuate? Like we could be using all of this time that we invest in beauty and using it to divest from the system of beauty instead. I love that. When I first contacted you, Jessica, I talked about we're in this lover's year. So there are these themes of love and the collective and love is a choice. And I thought of you because you are someone who is seemingly unafraid to go there. You are, I don't, I only know one or two other people who are doing what it is you're doing, meaning that you're in this industry, you know, you, you do operate in this industry, but you really are speaking truth to it. You really are encouraging active divestment. And I was thinking about this idea of criticism as love. And, and I was thinking about it in my own life where when I critique something, we're immediately, especially women, I would say, like this is a, a misogynist trope, we're seen as being negative, right? Like like the mm-hmm. deflection is, oh, you're just being so negative. Can't you lighten up? Or, you know, there's this also through line of like a toxic positivity, like let's just ignore, you know, all of the yes. not good things so that we can be namaste and we can be in alignment and all of that stuff. But I like to think, if you care about something, if you love something, you want to engage with it mm-hmm. in a complex way, a way that tends to it in all of its facets and also critiques it. And there's this James Baldwin quote I love that says, I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her mm-hmm. perpetually. And so I was hoping you could share a little bit I about what it's like for you as someone to be doing this? Do you get a lot of backlash? Like what is, how are you received? Like (laughs) talk to me about this. Yeah. Yeah. I get a ton of backlash, like to the point that about a year ago, I turned off comments on Instagram. I turned off DMs. Like I don't allow anyone to contact me on social media anymore because it's, it got like very overwhelming. Like even like death threats, you know, people telling me to kill myself because I said, don't buy this beauty product. Like it gets really intense. People are very passionate about it. Um, Never mind like the industry response. Like I've had a lot of my articles like edited, softened, killed. Um, Advertisers have been like, take this down and the publication took it down immediately. Um, So there's always pushback. And even my newsletter 
which like I've tried to cultivate as a space that like this is going to be a very critical you know, space in the beauty industry, like the number one thing people say when they unsubscribe is just like, it's too negative. It's too critical. It's too much. I can't handle this. Everything in the world is so bad right now. Why do you have to have a negative attitude? Um, and it's, it's wild to me because I truly don't feel um, like I'm angry at the beauty industry, but I don't feel like I'm powered by anger and I don't feel like I'm negative. I feel like my work is powered by love of actual beauty and just this like pure desire for everyone to experience true, energetic, soul-fulfilling, wild beauty. And that is so powerful to me and it's so necessary to me and it's so nourishing to me. And I want people to feel that. I want people to experience that. And what we have is just this old, horrible industry that has been built brick by brick for centuries, obscuring our access to that type of beauty. It is obscuring our access to like wild, open, soul deep beauty. And so in order to like unleash that power and unleash that love, we have to fucking destroy the industry. And like that looks bad. It looks like destruction. It can sound negative, but it's really like this act, I think, of just freedom and love and like unleashing. And I hope that people can see my work that way because that's how I feel my work. I totally receive your work is that you do not strike <laughs> me as like bitter or you're, <laughs> you're angry, but you're passionate. And you also have, what I love about your work is you have very clear, you have a very clear vision. You have practical solutions and you are very clearly able to name, you can really unpack what's going mm. on. You can really take an article or a product or an advertisement and really pick apart, okay, well, here's what it's doing. Here's the codes here. This is what we have to unpack. Here's what it's really saying. Here's what it's implying. Here are the different vectors of intersection that are going on here and here's what we can do like here's also yeah. what we can do and so I think that you're first of all everyone listening if you haven't subscribed to Jessica's newsletter called the unpublishable I highly recommend that you do that because also Jessica is educating us and you really do have this insider's vantage point you can really see what's going on because you've been so intimate within the industry as a participant, as someone who cares about this stuff on a deep level. And I love it. I also just wanted to know, you spoke to turning your DMs off. You spoke to, you know, having to put up those boundaries. What have you had to do internally? Because, you know, I'm someone, I speak openly about this. I'm someone who gets a like consistent backlash uh, mm -hmm. for, for my work. I would say online and like IRL, you know, um, mm -hmm. and like I literally had to go to therapy for it. Like, mm -hmm. like three or four years ago, I had to go to therapy because I was like, I, this isn't good for my mental health. I, I actually thought about quitting. I might still quit. Who knows? Um, not necessarily because of that, but that was like, I was sort of at this precipice. I'm just wondering like spiritually and mentally, how do you mm -hmm. deal with, I'm going to make a pun. You have to have a thick skin. <laughs> like, you know, how do you deal with it? Like personally, yeah, it's been really hard. I don't know that I've figured it out yet, but I have gone through these these deep waves of, I mean, true depression of just feeling like I I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be inspiring this kind of hate in people. Um, I also, it's been a real project to detach from how people see me because it's it's easy to say like, don't pay attention to the haters. Like, blah, blah, blah. But like, of course you pay attention to the haters. And for me, there's also a real concern there with like, if my work has affected somebody in a negative way and they've received it, like I am partially responsible for that. Like, I don't want, I know I'm not, but in my head, I think if something I said has, has made somebody else have a bad experience, like what can I do to mitigate that? And for a long time, I was like very in my head about it. And that's when I turned off comments. And that's when I turned off DMs and was like, I, 
I can't be responsible for that anymore. And if I hear it, I'm going to feel responsible for it. So I just minimized the yes. amount of ways that I could hear that feedback. If somebody has like a true issue with something I have said, like my email is in my social media profiles, you can reach out to me, you can find me. And like usually people who like truly feel passionately about what they have to say, will will take the extra steps to communicate with me. But like, I've turned off the ability for people to just shout at me into the void, <laughs> which has helped. Um, and I've also, the thing that has helped me the most is really exploring my relationship to um, capitalism and hustle culture and growth and success. Because when I first started out, I was like, I want to change this industry. I want everyone to know my name. I want everyone to read my articles. I want to be huge. I want my articles to be everywhere. And I want the most people possible to read them. And that was actually causing me a lot of pain. <laughs> like the more like growing and becoming more like quote unquote successful as this culture has defined success was actually creating a painful experience for me <laughs> in my life. Mm. And so I have really had to reevaluate my goals and say, I, if success means that I'm on the receiving end of a lot of hate, I don't actually want that. And so I've sort of reprioritized. I'm mm. focusing on the newsletter. It's a much smaller um, pool than say trying to like pitch to the New York Times constantly or trying to pitch to Harper's Bazaar and Vogue constantly. It's a smaller pool of people who understand my message, are ready for my message. And that feels like success to me now, where I'm I'm speaking to people who are ready and willing to talk about the things that I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to force my message onto people who are not ready for it for the sake of feeling like I have achieved some life goal of like world domination success. Like that doesn't feel good anymore. You are 100% living out the lover's year archetype because <laughs> yes. you, you are speaking to those who love you or want to receive it, right? That, mm -hmm. I think that's a really strong message of this tarot archetype, right? Where you want to go where the love is, you know? Um, yeah. This isn't about bypassing. This is just about, you know, I, I sort of think about, well, okay, if you are, just as an example, if you're engaging with a person who you, you have a crush on someone and they won't text you back or, you know, they never respond or it's only on their terms or it's only like a booty call at two in the morning on every third Friday, you got to just kind of take, <laughs> take a step back and be like, this isn't love. This is like a tension yeah. and or weird, like some kind of weird dynamic. So I love that you're living that archetype out in that. And the other piece, the other pieces I wanted to parse out there is one of the themes I actually channeled for the year that's been coming up really strongly at this midway point, which is new definitions of success. We're told we should have the like New York Times byline. We're told we should have exponential growth, cancerous growth, growth that is capitalist. You should want to go viral. You should want to have a team. You should want to like do this and that and that. And that means you've, you've achieved success. But I, per and I think it was, it was like between 2018 and 2019 where, I experienced the situation where I had all of these external markers of success, you know, and I was engaged in a project that was, that was very popular externally. I got a book deal. Like there was all of these external things going on, mm -hmm. but I was very unhappy. Like I was stressed out. I was tired. The things that looked really good superficial, superficially, uh, externally were actually horrific. Like the projects were terrible. I was being uh -huh. treated horribly. Like it was like awful and exhausting. And it, I was like, how do I get out of these contracts? I am trapped now. Like it just did not, it, it was not a, uh, a good experience. It, uh, anyway, so I'm, I really want to encourage the listeners here to pull back on your life. Think about what what new definitions of success am I going to begin cultivating in my own life? What are those metrics? How can I start defining them? What feels in alignment for me? What feels linked to my spiritual growth? And how do I move forward in that way? You know, and I love that you're talking about this and feeding off of that. I wanted to ask you now that you aren't, you know, pitching to all of these larger magazines or you're not 
engaged in certain beauty sponsorships. How are you making a living? I have been like so pleasantly surprised that the newsletter has been successful enough that I'm okay for now. Like I'm making okay money through that. And that feels really good because it's like $5 a month from people who want to support. So it, I, like, I don't feel any allegiance to brands or advertisers. Like I feel allegiance to people who like truly want to engage with my work in a constructive way. Um, and that feels great. Um, I also have a book deal, so I've been working on that and that, as you know, book advances like come in chunks. So I had a big chunk last year, which was helpful. And now I'm like anxiously awaiting chunk number two, <laughs> which will be helpful as well. <laughs> but also, I, I mean, just to be like real about everything, like right before the pandemic, I got divorced of my husband, moved back in with my parents. Um, and I'm like currently living in my grandparents' old house. So like, I don't have to worry about a lot of things right now because I am like still tending to those wounds yeah. and living with my family. So I, I always like to specify that when people are like, how do you make it work as a writer? Like if I didn't have my family helping me through this like particularly low point in my life, like I don't know that I would. So I'm thankful to not have to be super concerned about like, how do I make this newsletter grow? And how do I like make ends meet right now? I'm just trying to like heal and feel my way through all of this stuff in a really gentle way. And sort of like hoping that at the end of it, it all turns out we're like, okay, great. This is enough for me to support myself and I will be okay. Thank you so much for your transparency. It's so, 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 so appreciated. A while back, it was probably like months ago, I remember you were posting on Instagram about there being this pattern that you noticed with folks who are consider themselves feminists or who are on the left. Um, and I can't remember the exact language, so forgive me for paraphrasing, but there's this pattern where folks will like point to the problem and then that's it, you know, like, well, they'll say, okay, this is an example of, let's just say, women getting paid less than men, but there then is this lack of solutions or this lack of modeling of what they're doing about it or mm -hmm. thinking about actually doing something different and then sharing about it. And I see this frequently with this kind of 101 sort of basic level of like, okay, here's the problem. And I often think of it as it being a kind of classic neoliberal response where it's superficial, it's performance-based. Obviously, we can all think of the black square in 2020, yes. the cor corporations changing their logo to a pride flag. Like there was the U.S. Mm -hmm. Army had like rainbow bullets. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Um, but yet the actual behavior underneath it, the systemic structure, the setup of it, the way we're engaging in it doesn't change. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your take on that. I see you nodding. So like, what do you think about all that? I think that we are living in a culture currently that really rewards like superficiality, like superficiality and engaging with these issues. So if you can point to the problem and say, I understand the problem, I'm going to post an Instagram about the problem, I'm going to tweet about the problem, you're rewarded. And you, you sort of get that like dopamine hit of like, I'm on the right side of history here. But like, it's very, one, it is very hard to follow through on a lot of these actions, because like we talked about before with beauty, like we're, we're living in a system where like, it is, you know, oppression central all the time in so many different ways. And it's hard to engage in like a lot of these issues and change them in our individual lives, for sure. Um, and that's, I think, why the, the, performance, especially on the left, um, in terms of beauty issues really bothers me because I, I feel like beauty is one of the easier ways to divest from some of these systems because it's something we all participate in to a degree. And it's somewhere that we all have room to divest a little bit as much as we want to. Um, not all, not all of the ways you don't have to like divest completely from beauty, but like we all have room to like work our way backwards. I think, in this beauty space. And it's frustrating because it feels like a lot of people who are very vocal about a lot of issues don't realize or don't care that they're perpetuating the systems they're critiquing through their aesthetics. 
And that bothers me because it's like, like beauty standards stem from all of these systems of oppression. And that is on purpose. And it's because beauty and aesthetics are a very effective form of communication. And so it's how some of these really horrible, insidious ideas are communicated and dispersed throughout society. Um, and so I personally think that if we were to change some of our beauty behaviors, it would have a much larger impact because beauty is a very sneaky way that systems of oppression are reinforced and recommunicated and popularized. Um, so I just feel like that's one area where I would love to see more action and more divestment because I think there's a lot of room for it. And I think it can actually be really powerful. So what are some actual practical ways we can do this? Like, what have you done? Mm -hmm. You know, I know that you no longer buy a lot of beauty products. Like, like yeah. give, give us some ideas, Jessica. Sure. Okay. So for me, um, I used to be like full face of makeup every single day. Like even to go to CVS for toilet paper, I had to have foundation, powder, concealer, um, red lipstick, cat eyeliner. I have slowly worked my way down to not needing any of that. And it didn't happen all at once because a lot of it was like a security blanket. You know, it's not healthy to just rip all of that away. So I have gotten to a point where like, if I'm going out, I wear concealer and blush, um, and eyebrows and that's it. And that feels huge to me. That's so many products that I'm not buying. That's so many standards that I'm not partaking in. And I still feel like good and confident when I go out. And I'm still aware of the issues that I still have to work on. So just like slowly taking away one product at a time. Mm. Um, in terms of skincare, this is like my favorite way to, for people to divest. Um, skincare is like endlessly fascinating to me because the skin is equipped with everything that it needs to take care of itself. It self cleanses, it self moisturizes, it self exfoliates, it self um, protects, it self heals. And a lot of the products that we put on to like take over these functions literally do that. They take over these functions mm -hmm. and weakens our skin's ability to do it um, itself. So I basically used no skincare at all where I was at the point where I was spending probably hundreds of dollars per month on skincare. I don't buy any of that anymore. I don't use any of that anymore. And my skin is like very healthy <laughs> with no participation in the beauty industry. So that is one area where like mm. most people can be completely self-sufficient and not really have to participate in any skincare industry stuff. And then you, just like you use sunscreen. I do use sunscreen oh, when yeah, I go yeah, outside. Just, yeah. uh -huh. So I use, I use Cary Grant SPF when I go outside and then I use jojoba oil as an oil cleanser um, and a moisturizer if I need one. And then just water as a cleanser, like water is, is good enough for the rest of nature to get their cleansing done. <laughs> it's good enough for us. Um, so those are, those are the things that I use. And then like ideologically, I have just made a commitment to no injectables, no procedures, no no surgeries. Like those are just not standards that I want to help perpetuate and to put out into the world. Um, so yeah, that's something that's really important to me. And also like in terms of when I do buy things, I think it's really important to find brands that align with my values. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I'm never buying anything from a company that uses like anti-aging rhetoric to sell products. Like that is never going to be something that I'm doing. Um, I'm really passionate about like reducing waste in the beauty industry because this is another point is like, yes, beauty can be self-expression. I know people love to adorn themselves with a lot of products and, and things like that. But like we have to also think of the downstream effects of yeah. what all of those ingredients do to the environment, what all of that packaging does to the environment. And to me, that's a huge um, motivator. Because when I was a beauty editor, I was getting products and products and products every day. I had like a four tier closet full to the brim with, with products that just kept mm. being sent to me. And I would see the boxes pile up and the bubble wrap pile up and the bottles pile up. And eventually it hit me like, what is just my consumption doing to the environment? Like I personally am having a hugely negative impact mm. on the ecosystem and I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so for me, just like visualizing where is the waste from this purchase going to go? What happens to these ingredients once they're washed off my face? That is a huge motivator to like keep me in line with my consumption and my use. I love that. Do you have any questions that you like to ask yourself or prompts 
what going back to the first part of our conversation where you were doing this spiritual self-love work, you know, do you think that there are some lines of inquiry that listeners could have in terms of beginning to question their behaviors or even beginning to think about what beauty means to them on a much Mm -hmm. larger, more holistic level? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest question that we can ask ourselves is just why, like I call it being the eternal toddler. So when you Mm -hmm. see something and it, and you think it's beautiful or you put something on and you feel beautiful, just keep asking yourself why. So for instance, if like an influencer has like a face oil that you're selling and you're like, oh my God, this sounds so good. I'm going to get it. Why? Well, because this influencer is really beautiful and I love her aesthetic and I, I just trust what she says. Why? Well, she has really good skin. Why do you think that's good skin? Because um, it's clear and shiny and plastic. Why is that a marker of good skin? And you can go down the line from where all of these standards have have started to stem from and realize that so much of what you what we have been conditioned to think is beautiful is just that it's conditioning it's not inherent to Mm. us as a person it's not inherent to like humans as a species it's conditioning um and and that works for me beautifully just to be like i don't want to participate in that actually like i actually want to work on not finding that beautiful or enticing anymore So why is just a huge question. And then also just, this is a fairly basic one, sort of a cliche, but like who profits from this feeling? When you're not feeling good or when you feel good and you wanna self-express through a beauty product, like who is profiting from that? And is that a system that you wanna support? Is that a brand you wanna support? Is this a celebrity that you wanna support? Um, And if the answer is no, do you really need that thing? Thank you, Jessica. You're amazing. I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful for your work. Where can folks find you? Um, the, the best place to find me is my newsletter. It's called The Unpublishable. So you can just Google The Unpublishable or the URL is jessicadefino.substack.com. And when is your book coming out? Oh, I have to finish writing it, but probably sometime (laughs) next year. (laughs) Yay. Well, I'm wishing you so much luck with the writing of your book and everything else. And have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm so grateful you're here. If you like this episode, do let Jessica know, share it on your socials, send it to a friend. Thank you for supporting us over on Patreon. Thank you for reviewing it. I'm feeling really grateful. We are on our lucky 69th episode, and that is amazing. I'm celebrating by buying myself some kombucha. Maybe you want to celebrate in the same way, too. Until soon, bye. Moonbeaming is brought to you by The Moon Studio. It is created and hosted by me, Sarah Faith Godestiner. It is edited by Rose Blakelock with a lot of additional help from Hazel Frew. It is supported by our beautiful patrons, which you can join over at patreon.com, The Moon Studio. If you would like to further support the podcast, you can sign up for a sponsorship. You can rate and review it or share it with your friends or on your social media. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you so much.